scripture is taken from the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's page 841 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along as we prepare. We're going to be reading verses 30 to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. As they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And I'd like to add women and children. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm delighted this morning to start a brand new sermon series titled Discipleship That Fits. It's based uh, in part in this book here, Discipleship That Fits, that our uh, Sunday school class is going through, our small groups during the week. And, and so I would encourage you to pick up a copy if you're not able to make it to uh, one of those other opportunities and see uh, Elder Arun afterwards, and we can be sure that you can get a copy. And so this series is titled Discipleship That Fits, and what I want to do this morning is introduce the series. You'll see in your bulletin, there's a place there for notes, and usually it's blank. Today it looks more like a Mad Lib, so uh, bear with me. I want to give you an overview of where we're headed these next number of weeks. Let's start by defining disciple. A, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission. So being a, a disciple is modeling your, your life, your thoughts, your, your actions, everything after the example taught to us by Jesus, the very example that he left to us in the Gospels. So the focus is following Jesus. The, the process of being changed is to become more like Jesus. And the commitment that we make is to lead others in becoming like Jesus. That's his kingdom mission. So it's all about the Lord Jesus. 
a related word, discipleship, we get tossed around quite a bit around here. That simply refers to the process through which Jesus turns people into those who would trust and follow him. Disciples, the, the, the aim, the outcome, and discipleship is the process. So if you're filling in the blanks, here you go. Discipleship is helping people to trust and follow Jesus. Discipleship, it's helping, it's, it's aiding, it's a word of care because we care about people and we want them to trust and follow Jesus, to take steps of faith and also steps of knowledge and growing and understanding of who he is and how he has called us to follow him. The discipleship process Jesus uses to grow us as his disciples and and a disciple is someone who's intentionally living their life more and more in the likeness of Jesus. This work doesn't happen by program or by personality. It happens by the empowering of his Holy Spirit. So at the end of the day, whatever programs we provide here as a church, whatever classes we have, whatever staff we, we call to serve at Nielsville, at the end of the day, the growth in becoming more and more in the likeness of Jesus is a work of his Spirit. Now for the premise of our series, the next fill in the blank. When it comes to discipleship, one size does not fit all. We've invested a lot of energy in our discipleship process. If you were here with us last fall, last September, we did something similar to what we're doing right now. And that was a a sermon series and Sunday school classes and midweek classes all centered around explaining our discipleship process, a simple way of engaging at Nielsville in, in uh, gathering for worship, to worship God, to grow spiritually, to go and serve in his name. That was the process that we're going through as a church to find out ways of how we can connect as a church. And those are very, very important. But equally important to the process is understanding the different ways in which God works to shape us within those different places. God uses many different people and contexts to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. So understanding this will help us have clear expectations for the different contexts in which we find ourselves being discipled. And we'll explain that more in just a moment, what these different contexts are and and the relationships that we have and how important they all are. But we see all these different ways that that Jesus was working in people's lives to grow them more and more in his likeness. So, for instance, in big public settings, Jesus was doing discipleship. He He would preach to the masses. He'd have hundreds and hundreds of people gather to hear what he'd have to say. With his discipleship, he would, he would disciple mid-sized groups, smaller in number. Next week we'll look at Luke chapter 10 when he sends out the 72. So these are uh, men and women trained up as disciples and he sends them out on mission. And so there are times when we see Jesus teaching the masses and then we see times where he is discipling a, a, a mid-range sized group of 50 to 100 more or less. Plenty of times of Jesus personally discipling his small group of 12, the 12 apostles. We see that again and again as we've just kind of taken a break from our formal Mark sermon series. But again and again, him 
calling the 12 and investing in the 12 and then living with him and following him. Still beyond that, we see the transparent relationship he had with just a couple of those guys. I think of Peter and James and John, those that he was able to pull in closest, that leaned in like John would lean in at the table to to hear firsthand what Jesus had to say. And finally, the most uh, intimate of relationships that Jesus modeled uh, to all of his disciples, his divine relationship with his Father in heaven. We see example of it, after example of him going away to a quiet place early in the morning, late at night, to talk to his Father. And we see the great uh, high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 of him praying to the Father, Father, I pray that they would know you the way that I know you. And so we have these examples throughout the scriptures, and we'll see them throughout this series. But I want to turn our attention to Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Because in this one passage, we have examples of all five contexts and relationships all in one passage. And all of them are here, and all of them have different expectations that we can look at. So here you are if you're still filling in the blanks. The first one, the largest, is the public relationship. This is the entire church gathering for celebration and refueling. It says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds, for they were shepherdless. And we'll come back to that public context in in just a few minutes, because that's the the theme focus for uh, this morning and this week's classes. That's the public relationship, celebration, refueling. Then we see the social relationships, extended families, extended households, and networks living on mission where friends and family are naturally enfolded into Jesus-centered communities. Note that Mark says Jesus had them sit down on the green grass, I love that little detail, in 50s and 100s. And so the social relationships might be uh, age groups, uh, parents of young children. We all want to get together, all the parents of young kids. It might be uh, singles over the age of 45, and they have, have an opportunity to serve. I think of our partnership with other churches in the area, uh, with Germantown Help, or maybe the Women's Shelter. It wasn't just uh, volunteers of Mealsville. We were partnering with others who had the same passion and desire to serve in that way, or rebuilding together that we're a part of uh, this spring again, and we will not be doing it alone. We'll be doing it with many others in this mid-sized social group. Then we have the personal relationships. These are people gathered in small groups where we support and challenge one another, where we support and we challenge one another. You can't do that in a huge group like this or even 50 to 100 people, but in a small group, you can support and challenge one another. When the disciples, the apostles, had returned from this incredible ministry experience, they were exhausted from all that they had seen and done and all the sad news that they had heard that we'll hear about in just a moment. Jesus, seeing their needs, says, come away with me to a desolate place, to a quiet place. He, he was supporting them. He knew that they needed a retreat. They, they, they needed some time away to be supported because they didn't have time to eat. It was a luxury even to stop for a food break. But then what happens? All the people show up. And moments later, after Jesus teaches, he says to them, you 
give them something to eat. That's a challenge, isn't it? Wait a second. Oh, I thought we were going to have a time of support, a little retreat, and now you're telling us we've got to get back to work. Well, that's what can happen in the context of a, of a personal relationship of about 12 people being supported and challenged. Then we have transparent relationships. These are our deepest relationships where we share candid and intimate details of our lives. Now, I can imagine, although the text doesn't say this, but I could imagine it was either Peter, James, or John who came to Jesus in the midst of this calling out to the people and said, Lord, we, how could we possibly feed all these people? Do you want us to give six months' wages and buy bread? No, please, please, we're so tired. Will you please send them away? They've come back from this high, high, as I mentioned, of of preaching and healing, but also they heard the terrible news of John the Baptist, who had been martyred, literally his head left on a platter, and they are spent. He couldn't hear that from all of them, but maybe it was Peter. Think about other examples of Peter putting his foot in, in his mouth a bit, but him being the one to call Jesus out and say, candidly and intimately, Lord, Lord, we need your help. And finally, the divine relationship, where, we, where God, our creator and redeemer, disciples, directly disciples us. So here's a scene. All these thousands of people, they're seated. And in verse 41, it says that Jesus looked up to heaven and asked a blessing. Now, if you haven't been in our series, Gospel of Mark, and we're returning to it now, we've seen throughout our study of the fame of Jesus spreading, of how massive crowds were coming, rallying to him. They wanted to, to get near to him. And I imagine the disciples who are being party to this, they're seeing this happening, they're, they're seeing the crowds coming, and they're, they're getting some incredible vibes from this. Like, wow, look, look how important we are. Look at all these people coming. And Jesus modeled to them, that the most important relationship that they could ever have was like the relationship he had with his father. That he doesn't command the attention at this moment, but he stops to pray, to turn to the Lord in prayer. The disciples are starting to get a taste of this. Now listen, we need all five of these contexts and types of relationships in order to grow as disciples. That's what's going to be operative in this sermon series. And we're providing all five as a church. But why do we need all five? Why do we need all five of these contexts? Well, think about it this way. What if you only are served in the public context, the, the big one? You come to church on Sunday. What if that's the only time that you are discipled? What do you miss out on? Well, you come to church, it's a full house, you sit, you're anonymous, you hear a sermon, you have a great worship service, hopefully, then you go home. What do you miss out on? Well, you miss out on the connection with other people, relating to one another, iron sharpening iron, being encouraged, all the one another statements that are written in Scripture. You, you can have the greatest sermons, but you're not going to, to get everything that God would have for you to grow. What if your connection is only through social relationships? That for you, you say, you know, I just really want to connect with people that have the same passion as I do in this area of life. Or I really want to connect only with people that kind of fit my life stage. What do you miss out on? Well, at a church like Nielsville, 
you would miss out on meeting with people from all over the world. What if you only interacted with people that thought like you, grew up where you grew up, vote the way you vote, think the way you think, you'd miss out on the rich tapestry that God is creating here, the rich diversity of people that he's calling together as a church. And, and so you can see on and on in each of these how important it is to have a, a broad spectrum of, of all of these. Probably very, very important to mention one last point, that, that final divine relationship. I want to make sure that all of you are spending time just one-on-one between yourself and your Lord during the week. So we need all of these. But let's take a moment to focus on the first one, the public context. People gathered to celebrate and refuel. And when Jesus looks out and it says that he has compassion on the crowds because they are like sheep without a shepherd, how does he respond? What does Jesus do in in love and, and care, that word compassion, that heartfelt concern? What does he do? Look at verse 34. He began to teach them many things. Jesus wanted to meet their needs, and he did so by preaching the word and then feeding them. Celebrating and refueling centers on the word of God preached each Sunday from this pulpit. Last Sunday was a beautiful Easter service. I couldn't have asked for for a more lovely uh, morning with you. The Saturday, the day before, uh, I was in the office for three hours reworking and rewriting my sermon. And I don't make it a habit of that. I, I, I work on my sermon starting on Monday. I try to have, have it well written by the end of Thursday. I sort of let it marinate. I'll tune it up on Friday. I try to get ready. And Saturday is a day of you know, things around the house. It's a day off. But this was important. And I knew the sermon wasn't right. It was sort of like, like half-baked bread. Would you serve that? No. So what was impacting me at that moment on, on a Saturday afternoon, the day before Easter, were these words from James 3.1, where it says, Not many of you should become teachers, preachers, for you know that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Talk about motivation for getting it right. The Bible is saying that I'm going to be judged more strictly as a preacher of God's word, as a teacher, and what will be the the measuring stick? Will it be how how lovely I serve communion? Will it be the clothes that I wear on, on Sunday? Or the programs or how healthy our budget is? No, it's, it says the measure will be my ability to teach and preach and rightly handle God's word. And so we celebrate this beautiful sacrament of communion today. That's our celebration. And we are refueled every Sunday with the ministry of God's word. I wonder for those people that day, which meal satisfied them more? the teaching of Jesus of many things or the food of bread and fish? Which one stuck with them longer? You know the saying, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips? What about being fed by the word of God, the the word of God for a moment on, on our lips and our minds and catching our attention, turning off 
the, the, the noise, looking away from our smartphone, and, and we hear something that, that is true and rich and satisfying. How long will that stick with us? And will it stick in our hearts and our heads? Well, that's our aim. Verse 34, he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. He loved them. And so how did he respond? It says he preached. The measure by which we can rate a good church from a not-so-good church is what the teaching of the Bible produces in the people of that church. You can tell a church where the Word of God is lifted up and taught because it produces people who are driven to handle the Word of God themselves. You come to a church that says, we preach the Bible, and you hear teaching, and hopefully, oh, I hope it's clear and good. Well, what's the measure? The measure is people out there saying, I want to understand that better myself. I heard something, I took some notes, I, I want to understand that myself. You know, I, I have something I want to say. That's the measure. I want to be, as you know, I've shared this with you, I want to be a disciple who's making disciple-making disciples, that kind of re- reproducing our faith, that likeness of Jesus in me, I, I want to see it in other people. But, but more specifically, kind of 2 Timothy 2.2, in particular, I'm called to be a Bible teaching and preaching disciple. And the measure that that I'll be measured by and that I care the most about is that I would be given the great privilege of seeing others grow up to be Bible teaching and preaching disciples too. So I'm always on the lookout for the people that God puts in my life that I might have an opportunity to encourage or, or be used in their life to see them grow in their ability to rightly handle God's word. That's the measure of 20 years of ministry. Not the size of the church or, or ministry or the size of the budget. It's those people that I've seen grow and become better able to handle God's word. Those that are pastors, some missionaries, but also those are just everyday folk, but who know how to open God's word, not only feeding themselves, but feeding those around them. That's a pleasure and a joy. In this passage, there is a bona fide miracle that happens. We haven't seen it since, and I don't believe we're going to see it again, not in my lifetime. Lord, Lord can do anything, but I don't think we'll see this. But you know what we can see? We can see what happened in the disciples. When they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, send them away. It's getting late in the night. There's nothing here for them. Send them back to the villages so they can get something to eat. You know what we can see again and again, what Jesus challenges us again and again? You give them something to eat. And the disciples are stunned. Why? Because they say to themselves, we don't have the resources. Sure, if they had a, a semi-truck that could back up behind them filled with food and bread and fish, they'd say, okay, fine, we'll get started. But they said, Jesus, we, we have so little. And what's Jesus' response? You give them something to eat. It's no coincidence that there are 12 baskets one for each apostle, 
two hands to get to work. And so here's the application. I woke someone up just now. I should drop, I should drop the Bible more often. I'm like, what? Here's the application. The application about this public setting of celebrating and refueling these, the kinds of relationships and the context that we have each Sunday morning. Number one, preaching is very good, but it cannot deliver all the discipleship you need. Preaching cannot deliver all of the discipleship that you need. Preaching from scriptures is front and center whenever we gather to worship God. We look to the Bible as the supreme authority for what we believe and how we live. But friends, it is not enough. It's not enough for you to have the diet of coming on Sunday and hearing a sermon. And I hope that it's a good sermon every week. But I'll tell you, you could call the the greatest of the great, whoever that might be, it will not be enough. It's It's like feasting on the weekend and then saying, I'm going to diet. I'm going to starve myself on 1,200 calories Monday through Saturday. And then I'll, I'll feast again, and then I'll be dry again. And That's no way to have a healthy life. Yes, the public context is a great and wonderful thing that you can hear God's word preached, but it's not enough until you get shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye with another person or people or at least a small group of people or people that are like-minded to come together and make sense of this. And how do I live now from what I've heard? Number two, distribute the work just like Jesus did. This wonderful thing, this wonderful blessing has happened with the the video series, I Am a Disciple video series that we did. We filmed it right here. I invited about, I think, 11, 10, 11 of us to come and to share their testimony. You hear me preach uh, every Sunday, 25, 30 minutes. Each person shared for maybe five minutes. Those videos were edited down just to two or three minutes. How I became a Christian. What God's doing in my life. What God's doing in and through me at Nielsville. Do you know what? Those videos have gone out and we have seen such an incredible response. 5,600 views on Facebook. Hundreds and hundreds of forwards and and likes. And then the views on the website, that was Facebook, on the website, still more. I think about 600 views, people coming to the website. I've been preaching here for going on six years. Never a response like you gave. We've got to distribute the work. It's not just up to me as your pastor or our staff, our elders, deacons, or trustees. We all have to get our hands into it, lift our basket. We need to distribute the service of this ministry and mission to see all that God would have for us. And so the ways that you can serve, well, you can sign up to serve even on a Sunday morning. You could be a greeter. You could help out after this morning's service. We have a few volunteers that, that help straighten things up. You know what? Down in the nursery, we have uh, the need of folks that would give up just one Sunday. Can you imagine just give up one Sunday service to serve in the nursery this year? What a difference that would make. Come on on. Uh, on Tuesday with the mobs or some other form of service. See Gail Haig with local missions. Find out how you can serve. 
And finally, there will be highs and there will be lows. The apostles experienced this great high highs of being empowered by Jesus. You can read about that uh, in Mark 5. They were empowered by Jesus to go and preach and to heal. And they're so fired up because it's happening. And as they're coming back, they want to tell him all the good things that they saw happen. But the very scene before this one is the beheading of John the Baptist, the low lows. And then the very next scene, being caught out in a storm and being, then being petrified, terrified. And Mark says, because their hearts were hardened. They didn't believe. They, they couldn't comprehend that Jesus was enough. So friends, I say, accept the invitation that Jesus is making to you right now to come away with him, to draw away with him. That's what he's calling us to. Because you see, the gospel transforms lives. It has to be transforming you too. So prepare your heart to come to this table and to receive the refueling that only he can provide that will truly satisfy. Friends, we are entering into an incredibly fantastic season of ministry at Nielsville. Think about spring training, the Nats opening day, great plans for where, where they're going to be in October. I see great things happening in our church far beyond October into the, into the future. It's happening now but we all need to pitch in and be part of this good work that God's doing. And someone's here saying, well, do we have enough? Are there enough resources? We have more than enough. Why? Because we have Jesus. And Jesus is all that we need. And so, friends, we gather at this table.